We're in a series we call This Is Us, and it's about building good relationships. I heard Warren Buffett say uh, two years ago, if you can't learn to get along with people, you can't succeed at anything. Building a business, building a church, building a class, building a team, a football sports franchise, you got to be able to get along with people. And if you watch too many political commercials, you'll hate everybody. I was in line with a lovely African-American lady early voting, and, and we, were, we were crammed into this dumb little library. I said, look, you can have our lobby. We can put 600 people in it. We got a coffee shop, restrooms, room for everybody. But no, they want to do it the hard way. And we were all in like this, bumper to bumper, and stupid, you know. Nobody, nobody has a plan to do something well. And I, we were looking at this voting sheet, and she looked at it, and I just thought, I'll break the ice. And I said, you know, after listening to all the political commercials, I don't like any of them. I said, how about you write me in? I'll write you in. And we got along great. She said, you never know. Don't watch so much of this hate and against everybody. Okay, be real careful. Let's don't bring that into the kingdom of God. We're not, we don't hate anybody. I don't hate anybody. You might disagree with somebody on some issue or something. That's fine, but you don't have to hate anybody. My wife and I don't agree. We got a new dog in the house. I don't agree, but she did. So we're still married. We're not going to get a divorce over it. I've been cut up. I've been bitten. I've, I've had the dog's nails make me bleed. I'm going to take that little dog out and send it to Jesus is what I'm going to do. I'm gonna... That's like having a kid in the house, isn't it? Uh, we're just doing a little folksy talk. Just relax. I mean, it's like, man, I said, honey, our lifestyle is too busy. This, this animal requires heavy maintenance, kind of like a little baby. It'll change your life forever, right? Oh, you, you new married people, you have no clue what's coming. You have no clue, but you will. Okay, so we talked about last week, we talked about uh, the factors that build a good relationship, a good marriage, and we went through about six of them. They're real practical, real simple. You can do this. You can learn to do it if you weren't taught. Don't let the excuse that you came from a bad home, a broken home, a divorced home have anything to do with the kind of a life and future you want to build. I think Bruce Bowen talked about how terrible background. No father, terrible. Mother on drugs, different relatives. And he decided that's not the life I want, that's not the marriage I want, and that's not what I want my children to face. And he changed it. And you can change too. And the great thing about the kingdom is you can change whatever it is if you want to. So I hope you want to. Well, that was good. Now, today we're going to talk about uh, in this building healthy relationships and families, paycheck to paycheck. We're going to talk a little bit about handling money in relationships. How many of you would agree that money plays a key role in everybody's life? Everybody, in every family, money can be a big problem or money can solve problems. It's really how you use it. Money's not bad or good. It, it's just going to manifest what's in the heart and life of the person that has it. And so we want to learn what God has to say about it. Jesus knew the importance of money. He made reference to money in parables or specific scriptures over 2,000 times. I mean, there's only like 500 verses on faith or prayer. 
and yet over 2,000 on handling resources, money. For example, the parable of the prodigal son and wasting his inheritance in Luke 15. Then there's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16. Then there's the parable of the vineyard workers in Matthew 20. Then there's the widow's offering in Mark 12, verse 41. And in Matthew 19, beginning in verse 16, Jesus is counseling the rich young ruler. And maybe one more that's the top of the list in Matthew 6, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Where your treasure is, whatever you treasure, that's where my heart's going to go. So Jesus used a lot of examples about money, probably because he knew how important it was to every one of us. So when we look at relationships and navigating some of the obstacles we all face, it's important to take a look at money. Now, I recently read in prepping for this, I read several articles on top reasons for divorce. And money problem was always at the top of the list in almost every article. It's always in the top two or three. Maybe we should change our wedding vows to say, till debt do us part. Maybe. <laughs> if you don't manage your money, it will manage you. It's really important. You know, my grandfather used to say, uh, you might die with the most toys, but you're still dead. You're still, just kind of remember that. So I want to look at the wisest man who ever lived. His name was Solomon. He was also the wealthiest. And he wrote a couple of books. One of them is Ecclesiastes, tells us how to get into trouble with money. And then the book of Proverbs tells us how to get out of trouble. Well, let's take a look at some reasons we get into trouble. Proverbs 27, verse 20. Just as death and destruction are never satisfied, so human desire is never satisfied. Uh, anybody ever heard the name of Jeff Bezos? You know, how many people heard the name Amazon? Yeah. And how many people have used Amazon? Okay. Well, old Jeff was the founder of Amazon, and because of it, he's worth about $161 billion as of last month. I would say Jeff is a driven individual. He wants his company to keep expanding into different sectors. He wants the company to keep growing. And, and I'm going to make an assumption based on Jeff's desire for Amazon to take over the world. I, I would have to assume Jeff wants more. Now, I can't speak for him specifically, but why do we always want more? It, it, it isn't money itself, really. It's what we think money will do. We think money will do three things. It'll bring happiness, significance, and security. Well, let's take a look at those three real quick. Let's look at happiness. All of the advertising today, and now we're coming into Christmas, get ready. Our mailbox is starting to fill up, and I bet yours is too. All kind of stuff. It'll be all over TV. And it tells us in our culture today and in commercials that if you have more, you're going to be happier. And the American dream is life, liberty, and the purchase of happiness. <laughs> you know, I'm American. I deserve the car I want, the house I want, the designer clothes I want. And the problem is our yearning always exceeds our earning. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10, says those who love money never have enough. And by the way, you can be broke on a street with a sign will work for food and love money. 
It's loving money. It's not money that's evil. It's loving money. Poor people love money. They go buy lottery tickets by the billions of dollars. So he says, you'll never have enough. How meaningless to think wealth will make me happy. By the way, wealth is not supposed to make you happy. It pays bills. It can build a business. It can fund a college education. It can help people in poverty. It can do a lot of things, but it can't make me happy. Second, let's look at significance. If I have money, I'll be more important. People will respect me more. They will suck up to me more. I threw that one in. I'll be more powerful. I can now afford to look the part. My Instagram feed will be filled with me in the coolest car, wearing the coolest clothes, going to all the trendy, expensive spots. It's amazing what people will pay for. Jesus said in Luke 12, verse 15, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. So in other words, my net worth is not the same as my self-worth because it can change. Never confuse your value with your valuables. How how much you own has nothing to do with what you're worth to God and in life. So we think that having more will make us more happy, that it will give us more satisfaction, that it will make us more significant, but that isn't true. Third, how about security? The problem is how big does uh, does my bank account have to be to be secure? Solomon said it was never enough, no matter how much yet. I can remember my father saying that if he could just accumulate this, he was a military guy, if he could accumulate this money, it'd be enough. And then after his military career, he went with the CIA, and then he got into Vietnam, and then he became a mercenary, and then he started making big money, black market money, illegal money. And it was piling up a few million dollars, and it was never, and I thought, It ain't never enough, Daddy, is it? Never, never enough. So you can never have enough because you can lose it overnight in a myriad of different ways. If you're going to have security, you've got to put your security in something that can't be taken from you. Possessions can. Look, let me tell you something. I've been robbed twice. You can steal all my possessions. You can steal my furniture. You can steal my car. You can steal my clothes. But you can't steal what I know. And you can't steal the fact that God said, I will be your exceeding great reward. You can't steal that. And I can always replace stuff. I can't replace people. I can't replace uh, wonderful relationships. But I can replace stuff. So don't get attached to that stuff. Proverbs 23, 5. In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears. It'll sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. People say money talks, but usually it just says goodbye, and it just <laughs> flies away. Solomon tells us that having more brings three things. First, if you have more, you got more expense. You think about that? As your income goes up, as your purchases go up, so do the expenses. It costs more to have more. If the grass is greener on the other side, you can bet so is the water bill. That's a fact. Ecclesiastes 5.11, the more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? So the more you have now, I need accountants, I need attorneys, I need advisors, I need all kinds of other people to help me figure out how to keep it, how to use it, how to tax shelter it, 
And it's the same for toys. Now you need a place to store your new boat. And now since it's bigger than your old boat, you got to get a larger truck to pull it. And let's not forget the insurance. That just went sky high too. So get a bigger house, get a bigger car, utility bill goes up, air conditioner, compressors, and heat bumps spend for more. So can you see that when you have more, your expenses go up? It's going to cost you more to have more. That's why occasionally you ought to say, are we using that? Or am I just paying on it? You know, we used to have boats and wave runners and my girls and kids and everybody would, would, would play and go. It was a ball. I love water. I love boats. I grew up with them all my life. And then the kids grew up. Now they got relationships. Now they got a car. They don't want to go. They don't want to go to the lake. Takes too much time. Go to the lake. Pretty soon I found myself alone with a boat and a couple of wave runners and a paying for the dock and the insurance. And I thought, I need to dump this. It's costing me every month for nothing. So I did. I sold it all. Paid off a wedding with one of them. (laughs) I I had a good friend tell me, he was a businessman. He said to me, that's about 20 years ago. He said, Rick, never finance your toys. Never finance your toys. Pay cash for them. And that way, if things go bad, you can convert them into cash to take care of you. And I've never violated that to this day. Always so. Okay, okay. And then secondly, you get more worries. There's more to worry about. Ecclesiastes 5.12. It says, people who work hard sleep better whether they eat little or much, but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. See, the more we have, the more we worry. We worry about how to save it, how to spend it, how to avoid taxes on it. And sometimes you take your work home, and at home with your family, your mind is divided. Is this deal going to close? How did the NASDAQ perform today? You know. And as you're getting ready to lay down and get a good night's sleep, the thought comes to your mind. Did I hire the right person? Did I fire the right person? How will this impact my company's bottom line? How will the decisions I made today impact my bottom line? And third, there's more pain to you if you lose it and you have more. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 14, the Living Bible There is another serious problem I have seen everywhere, Solomon said. Savings are put into risky investments that turn sour, and soon there's nothing left to pass on to your son. The man who speculates is soon back to where he began with nothing. This, as I said, this is Solomon talking, is a very serious problem, for all his hard work has been for nothing. He's been working for the wind, and it's all swept away. All the rest of his life, he's under a cloud, gloomy, discouraged, frustrated, and angry. Notice four kinds of pain when you got a lot and you lose a lot. Gloom, you're depressed. Uh, maybe discouragement, you're, you're disappointed. You, you don't have it anymore. Frustrated, you're watching everybody else take a great vacation over the summer, and you start thinking your vacation should have been better. And then anger. Sometimes we lose something that we hold valuable, and we turn bitter, and we turn angry. And, the, you know, I, uh, those thoughts crossed my mind when we were robbed this last time. I had just had a birthday. People from all over the country came in, and my friends from different nations came in, and they really laid it on me for my 70th birthday. <laughs> and the next day, it's all gone. <laughs> and I, it was robbed. It was gone, totally gone. And uh, I didn't go into therapy. I didn't uh, need a counselor. I just put on a cheap watch that they didn't steal. 
And I told Cindy, the thief shall restore sevenfold. My life is not tied up in stuff. Easy come, easy go. I said, we can, I can get it again. As long as I'm breathing, I can get it again, you know. But I, it is not going to dominate my life. I'm not quite serious about that. It's not going to dominate my life. I think if we worry about our wives, they're a little more emotional than some of us men. But uh, I can take it or leave it, you know. I've driven fancy cars, and I've driven a god-awful, ugly, nasty-looking, 200,000-mile-old, dripping nasty cars. I've driven them all. I've had them all. And you know what? I'm the same guy that was in one as in the other. I, I didn't change because of the car I drove or the house I lived in. I lived in a trailer that had, when I was single, I lived in a trailer roaches as big as a skateboard come out at night. I wouldn't even get out of the bed to go to the bathroom. I was afraid to get out of the bed. Those suckers look at you right now like a great Dane. I thought, where did you come from? That's, that was my beginnings. So the point is, always wanting more is the cause of many emotional problems, you know, which in turn leads to relational problems. So how do we get our finances under control? The Bible gives us a few, a few details. Solomon gives five foundations for financial freedom. In the book of Proverbs, he says there are five things you can do to get your finances under control. So for the rest of the time that we have left, let's take a look at them. Point number one, keep good records. Keep good records. That's accounting is simply keeping track of where your money's going. Proverbs 27, 23, riches can disappear fast as the, and the king's crown doesn't stay in the family forever. So watch your business interest closely. Know the state of your flocks and your herds. Have you ever heard people say, I just don't know where all our money goes? Well, you're in real trouble. Ignorance plus easy credit equals catastrophe. Many problems in marriages and relationships are because you're in the dark about where your money's going and how you're spending it. When you don't know where your money is going, you're headed for disaster. You need to know the following. What do I own? What do I owe? What do I earn? Where is it going? So write it down and keep good records. Well, Rick, I don't have time to keep records. Well, then shut up complaining. You got time to complain and whine about it and worry so if you took the time you spend worrying about your finances to keep good records, you'd have a lot less to worry about. The Bible says, know where your money is going. You know, point two, plan your spending. Plan your spending. This is the principle of budgeting. Set financial goals and stick with them. They're like railroad tracks. They're like, it's like a, uh, a gated community or something. It's a boundary to keep you safe. If you stay on that track, you're, you're not going to face a disaster. But if you go over that track, you could end up in terrible shape. So the budget keeps you on track, keeps you out of trouble. Proverbs 21.5 in the Good News Translation says, Plan carefully and you'll have plenty. If you act too quick... You'll never have enough. Solomon says financial freedom is not based on how much you earn. It's based on how you spend it. People making a couple of hundred thousand dollars get into bad financial trouble. It's not how much you make. It's how you spend it. Anybody know the actor Nicolas Cage? He blew $150 million. Put your head around that. On mansions a private island, and a real dinosaur skull. 
Nicholas, you are nuts. What is wrong with you? Now, this came from CNBC, this article. And the title pretty much gives you the big picture. But the article goes on to read this. Best known for his roles in movies such as National Treasure, Leaving Las Vegas, Nicolas Cage was the top earner in Hollywood worth $150 million. But Cage didn't hold on to his fortune long. He squandered it on a string of expensive and eccentric purchases, eventually facing foreclosure on several properties and owing the IRS $6.3 million in property taxes, now worth about $25 million. Cage is taking any role offered to help pay off his debts. You see, it's not the amount of money. It's how you spend the money. How many of you know we watch celebrities and we watch sports stars suddenly come into big money, go nuts, and end up broke? See? So notice that phrase in Proverbs. If you act too quick, if you act too quickly, you'll never have enough. That's impulse buying. I got to have it. I got to have it. It's like seeing that dinosaur skull. I got to have it. Now, we may not be impulse buying on a private island like Nicolas Cage did, but every day you're confronted with advertising that appeals to your impulses to spend, spend, spend. If you watch TV for an hour or two, you'll walk away thinking, I must be the poorest guy in this neighborhood. I, I don't have the right iPhone. I, I don't have the right car. I don't have the right big screen TV. I, I don't have the right electronics. I don't have the right food. I, it's like it's designed to make you feel like you're not good enough unless you have this. If you can rub it in, sniff it in, blow dry it in, wash it in, rinse it in, rub it on, rub it. If you could just do that, oh, you'd be something. So, so whether it's cosmetics or whatever it is, it's, it's I got to have it. I just got to have it. Don't you love those infomercials? I'm thinking, I keep thinking, I need to buy that spray can of rubber that'll seal water leaks or something. That guy's always on there riding a boat with no floor in it with that spray on rubber stuff. And I'm thinking, man, that looks like good stuff. I got no use for that. Why, why is that creating an interest in me? I don't have any, I don't have any need for that at all. It, they, this is, but, but you know, my flesh, your flesh, mine is never satisfied. If I got a little bit, uh, a little more would be better, and then a little more. And it's, it just drags you down. You know, if you get a Tesla, you're going to be saving the environment. You don't have to line up when we have gas shortages. You're going to look really cool doing it, and it's a great car, by the way. If you wear this, if you use this, you'll be famous, desirable. Wear this makeup, he will find you irresistible. It's based on emotion to hook you, to hook you. It... You know, impulse buying is what stores do at HEB for men. They know it. They know where to, how to trap us by forcing us down certain aisles because men, men, men are impulse buyers. Women go in with a grocery list. But if the man goes, he'll spend twice as much, and the stores know that. So they'll put stuff in his way. The stuff you need that's good, they put it back in the back and hide it. And then they'll walk me by all the, the glitzy stuff that I thought, oh, that looks good. And then you come back with all this junk that you didn't need in the first place. That's us men. That's a, if you put sparkle on anything, men will buy it. You know, a bass boat, anything. Just put a little glitter on it, men will buy it. 
And then there's another word that triggers impulse buy. It's called sale, sale, Black Friday, sale. I got to have it now. It's on sale. Look how much I'm saving. But yeah, but you're spending. <laughs> or, or, or somehow you, you've done some crazy math and you're actually saving money because this thing is marked down so much. It doesn't, I mean, the thought should occur to you, do I need this or not? God says, plan your spending. And by the way, if you're married, get into agreement on a major expenditure. It's our money, not my money, your money. It's our money. We're, we're together in this deal, and I want to be sure we're in agreement as to how we're going to spend our money. Not on silly stuff, but significant purchases. Don't show up with a new bass boat or a brand new truck or something, or a big $5,000, $8,000 TV set. You didn't talk about it? That's going to impact your budget and your finances, see? Proverbs 21, 20. The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. See, you single people need a budget too. You can't spend everything you've got. And did you know spending habits and handling money, a lot of that is set by the time you're seven years old, watching your parents, watching. Are they generous? Are they stingy? Do they tip? Do they not tip? You know, so uh, I waited on tables when I was in college before I got in a rock and roll band, and there are some cheap people. i tell you that. There are some cheap people. They want great service, and they don't give you anything. But in general, good service does produce a good tip. So, uh, and then my daughter worked there one time, too, and, and I realized the way they get treated. So I'm always very courteous. If you take time with a waiter, uh, someone serving you, uh, you'll generally find you'll, if, if they know you treat them really good, they'll be delighted to serve you and, and crawl all over you. And if you give a little bit more than that, uh, you know, you, you're, you're really going to be welcomed when you come in. So just remember, treat others the way you'd like to be treated. So uh, this is sort of God's IQ test. Spending it as fast as you get it is not smart. Spending like drugs, like food, like alcohol can become addictive. One woman could not stop buying expensive dresses. Her husband was a CPA, and he said, Helen, I, honey, you've got to stop this spending. We, our budget is being stretched, and you're spending too much on clothes. And she said, okay, honey, okay. So the next month, he was doing the bills, and he said, Helen, you've You've done it again. I thought we agreed that the next time you were tempted to buy something expensive to wear, you would say, get behind me, Satan. She said, well, I did. And he did. And he said, it looks good from back here too, honey. <laughs> so how do you break the habit of impulse buying? How do you spell relief? Budget. B-U-D-G-E-T. A budget is a plan for your spending. It tells your money where you're going to go rather than wondering where it went. And for the married couples out there, this can be a big help in your marriage. Let's just say one of you in the relationships loves to spend more than you need to. Don't look to the right or left right now. <laughs> and the other one is more conservative in their spending. And the argument usually gets started when one person is saying, no, we should not buy that. Now, the person saying no is then viewed as a controller, doesn't understand the other person's needs. Enter the budget. What does the budget think? Say, I've got a third-party, unbiased opinion that will just look at the facts. So if you're the conservative one, 
you don't have to be the bad person anymore. Let the budget decide what we will or what we can do that's responsible. Proverbs 21, 20. By the way, this is point three. Save for the future. 21, 20. The wise man saves for the future. Foolish man spends whatever he gets. You know, recent uh, statistics show that some of the countries with the highest personal savings include Switzerland at 17.8%, Sweden 15.8%, Hungary 9%. The Americans, we average 4.9% in personal savings. See? So why is it Americans are only saving an average of 4% of their income? Because we live with the I gotta have it now in America. It's on TV, it's on radio, it's on billboards, it's everywhere. For the younger generation, don't fall into the social media craze. You know, most of social media isn't real anyway. You have to be careful not to fall into a comparison trap. Just because you see some other young person with a fancy car or a fancy clothes, you don't know the real story. There may be a mommy or a daddy who paid for that. There could be an inheritance involved. So don't try to keep up with somebody else because you don't know the real story there. No matter who they are, you live within your budget. I've been with some of the richest people on the face of the earth and several entertainers in the multiple million dollars. Cindy and I have been put on a private jet by this person and persons and flown to different exotic places. And I remember telling Cindy, this is like smoking dope. You could get addicted to this. I said, don't lose your mind. This is not our life. This is not where we live. And I just kept telling myself that because pretty soon you'll think, well, I deserve that or whatever. But we're not in the same calling and the same field. So we learn to enjoy that, appreciate that, but that ain't my life, right? Now, that's not my life. But Lord, why isn't it? Why couldn't you? Uh, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. You know, I am where I am because God said, this is what I want you to do. Okay. Now, that's good. If you're where you are because you washed up on the beach, that's not good. That, that means you had no direction, no vision, no plan. That's bad. But to be where you are because God put you there and he told you to be there, now I live within the limits of that budget. So what others may do, I don't know the real facts in their life. I don't know where their funding may be coming from. I don't compare. I just say, we enjoy that. Thank you. But I'm not going to breathe and inhale that stuff because I know what it'll do to make you feel miserable and unappreciative of what you have. I'm grateful I have good health. I'm grateful I got a car to drive. I am grateful for you. I am grateful for the close friends in my life that I love dearly. And I mean, I'd do anything to help. I am grateful I have a house, a roof over my head instead of a trailer with big roaches because I had that too. But at least it kept me dry and warm. And don't, don't become ungrateful with what you do have. Thank God you have food to eat, and some clothes to put on. And if you'll handle your money right, there's some better days ahead for everybody. If you base your lifestyle on what everybody on your Instagram account has, you're never going to save anything. Point four, tithe. This is biblical if you're a believer. God says that the first 10% of everything I make right off the top goes to him. It's to put him first. Now, why does God say that? He could have said 50%. He could have said 90%. He said 10%. 
but he wants to be first. It's a trust factor. Will you trust me with the first calf of your herd, with the first fruits of your crop, with the first fruit of your income? Will you trust me to take care of you, or will you trust your wealth? Now, God obviously doesn't need my money, but he wants what it represents. It's an act of gratitude. It says when I give God the first part of everything I make, it's a reminder it all came from God anyway. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, Psalms 24, and everybody in it. He owns the silver and the gold and the cattle on a thousand hills. He says, let's get this straight. I'm the real owner of everything. I'm letting you rent it. I'm letting you be a steward of it. So you gave me my mind, my hands, my wisdom, the skill, the strength, and the opportunity I am grateful, Lord. Here's my first portion. It's an act of priority. It says, God, I want you to be first in my life, and I'm going to prove it by putting my money where my mouth is. And if you think God is first in your life and you won't honor him, then you're kidding yourself. You don't trust him at all. And third, it's an act of faith. God has promised more blessings regarding giving than anything else in the Bible. And there are pagan people who are not Christians who are more generous than Christians, and in finances, they prosper. They prosper because it's not how you go to heaven, it's how you prosper. And so generous people who are not even uh, Christian can prosper better than a stingy Christian who won't honor the Lord and won't give. And so it's a very, very promise. Uh, give, so shall you receive. In the same measure you give, it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. God's a giver. God's generous. And He wants you to be like Him. So God has said, if you give back to me, you can't outgive me. Watch Him, and He'll bless your life. Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10, I love this verse. Honor the Lord by giving him the first part of all your income, and he will fill your barns with wheat and barley and overflow your wine vats with the finest Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon. <laughs> uh, some of you ex-Baptists don't know, do you? Yes, okay. There's a principle here that goes way beyond money. Whatever you want God to bless in your life, put him first in that area. If you want God to bless your family, put God first in your family. If you want God to bless your career, put God first in that career. Cindy and I agreed to tithe to God first when we got married before we paid anybody else for the rest of our lives. And to this day, we give above our tithe. And that commitment stands to this current day. We've done it through thick and thin, and God has blessed us. If you don't have enough money to tithe or save, you are overspending that's the problem. You're overspending. You need a more affordable home. You need to downsize. You need a cheaper car. And there's nothing wrong with that. You're not less of a person because you got a cheaper car. Or you, you know, I'd say, at least it's paid for. Mm, that'll put some serious thoughts into some people. Or you need to look at your budget and see if you've got some frivolous spending you could tighten up on. We get a lot of testimonies from people whose financial problems have been supernaturally turned around when they started tithing and putting God first. In fact, this past week, we filmed one of our businessmen from this church who started from, from New Orleans and Louisiana in the bayous, nothing, had nothing, broker than the Ten Commandments, didn't have anything. And I said, I want to get your testimony on film. So here's a testimony of Charlie Plunkett. Watch it. 
Hi, my name's Charles Plunkett. I live here in San Antonio. I'm a businessman. I've been in business here for 33 years. And I want to share with you my experience of tithing. From my perspective, I thought I knew what biblical tithing was. My wife's idea was different. She thought that if you give some money to the church, you give some money to the Christmas fund, you give some money to the poor homeless person, as long as it's a religious type or a Christian type endeavor and you're giving money, that that's tithing. So it was a little here, a little there. And you know how that pull and push and tug can occur? And it was occurring in our house and I decided to let it go. I, I felt at the time, uh, that when the time was right, the Lord would speak to her. And one Sunday morning, Pastor Rick was preaching on tithing. And I just prayed silently and I asked the Lord to speak to my wife's heart. When the message was over, she turned to me and said, I get it now. Um, from that day forward, we began tithing um, in the biblical manner, which I believe is tithing on your gross income, not on your net. You know, the Bible says, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, give unto God what is God's. So we began tithing on our gross income and it goes to the church. The tithe goes to the storehouse. The storehouse is where you get fed. Not fed physically, but fed spiritually. So from that day forward, we begin that process of tithing in a biblical manner. My company is Capco General Contracting and Capco Steel. We're a company that's based here in San Antonio, but we specialize in building these large self-storage facilities that you see, and I've built them all over the country for many years. I, I don't know how many of you are in business, but I can tell you that being in business isn't all that you might think it would be. There are many ups and downs. There are, time, there are times that I've gone for two years with no salary and lived off of what savings I had, and just as I was getting to the end of not being able to make it anymore, something would happen. You know, a job would come in, uh, things would turn around, and so God's seen me through and been faithful, but it wasn't really the blessing above and beyond, you know, where your cup is running over. It was making it, having a nice um, living, you know, being able to live pretty good, but as I began to tie, that began to change. I, I remember around that time, we were probably in the neighborhood of doing about eight to 10 million a year. Well, that sounds like a lot of money, but by the time you pay all the subcontractors and the suppliers and the overhead and your personnel and so forth and so on, there may not be a whole lot left from $10 million. But our business has grown in these last few years from that to the point of doing near $70 million. So that's a huge growth. And it hasn't been, we haven't grown our, our overhead that much. So, you know, it's been fabulous for us. I mean, the, the business has been very profitable, which I also reap the rewards for. And um, we've experienced that for a number of years in, in that way now. Uh, again, it started when I began biblical tithing um, that we were able to see this sort of growth. I mean, it was exponential from 10 million to 25 million to 40 million to 55 million to 70 million. Um, so it was just multiples of growth. And along with that, my own needs or my own personal income grew like that as well. So the Lord has blessed me to the point where I'm pretty well set. Um, and, you know, I acknowledge that it's Him. It's Him that has brought me the favor and brought me the uh, success that we've seen. It's not us. We're not doing anything different than we did before, except being obedient to Him in our tithing. So I believe that God will meet your needs. I believe that He will show you His ability to, to meet your needs and to advance you in your life if you'll follow His law and His dictate in biblical tithing. And I want to encourage you to do that today. It's certainly uh, been good for me. Thank you. Yeah, good, Charlie. Charlie.
Charlie's a tither and a giver, an incredible, generous man. He and Julie are amazing people, and we're thrilled and privileged to have them at Summit. But I've, I've known that with him for years, but I said I'd love to get that on film, just a brief glimpse of you and your wife getting into agreement to honor the Lord and then how he's blessed your business. Point number five, almost done. Enjoy what you have. Ecclesiastes 6 verse 9. It's better to be satisfied with what you have than to always be wanting something else. You can become so preoccupied with getting more that you fail to enjoy what you have. You can't enjoy your kids because you're always worried about making payments. Let's call it the San Antonio Syndrome. Stage one, my yearning exceeds my earning. Stage two, you get overextended. You carry more debt than you should. Stage three, you have to hustle constantly to make the ends meet. Always rush. Stage four, your family life starts to deteriorate. You get irritable and uptight. Everybody's working so hard just to make ends meet. So why don't we enjoy what we have? Because we're always busy trying to get more. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 19. If God gives us wealth and prosperity and lets us enjoy them, we should be grateful and enjoy what we have worked for. It is a gift from God. So God says, learn to be in control and enjoy what you do have. We already have more than 90% of the rest of the world. So learn to be content with what you have. Keep good records, plan your spending, save for the future, tithe, and enjoy what you have. God says, if, if you'll do those things, he'll bless you and you'll find financial freedom. So I wonder, are you feeling the pressure of finances these days? Do you find yourself arguing more and more about bills? Are you worrying more and more about making ends meet? Now, let me challenge you to follow God's plan. Keep good records, for crying out loud. Plan your spending. Save for the future. Tithe. Enjoy what you have. And commit to all five. Now, some of you may really be struggling in these areas. I'm aware of that. And let me... Let me just mention something. We offer financial freedom class here with Bill and Maureen Sinner, who you'll meet in a little bit, Sinner. They've been doing this for years, helping people get a grip on their finances so that they don't have this bondage. I, I, I think poverty and debt bondage is, is slavery. It's horrible. It dominates your life. It makes you miserable. On our website, you can go to group setting and find out more about our financial freedom classes. And we've got graduating class members this morning. Financial freedom will help those in areas to be accountable. Be accountable with others who are all working. It's kind of like being an AA. We got financial troubles. You got We're working on them together. Somebody has a drinking problem, I have a drinking problem, we're in AA together, we're encouraging each other. So we're all in that class to learn how to get on top of this thing and get control of it. And everybody else is working on the same thing. So tackle debt, create a budget, and if you're really struggling in this area, uh, and you walk out and you just said, I'm not going to do anything I've heard, I'm just going to keep worrying, well, then you're going to be headed for disaster. You won't be better next year. You won't be better the five years from now. In fact, it's possible that if you listen to what I'm saying and walk out the door and you don't put it into action, you're just going to be in the same place or worse next year. It'll get worse, not better. My grandfather used to say, Ricky, bad doesn't get better longer. It gets worse. So out-of-control finances are a symptom of an out-of-control life. 
Unmanaged finances are a symptom of an unmanaged life. What you need is a life manager. And here's the good news. Jesus said He would do these things. He promised us. He said so. He said, I'll help you manage your life. I'll be your guide. I will direct you. It's called being Lord of my life, not just in areas of finance, but He'll help me in every area of life, my relationships, my marriage, parenting our children, controlling my emotions. The list goes on and on. That's good news. Knowing that when we need help, all we have to do is open up our heart and call out to Jesus for help. I'm paraphrasing Job 31. The author said, if I put my trust in money, if my happiness depends on my wealth, it means I've denied the God of heaven. And why? Because whatever I put my trust in for security becomes my God. So decide today, declare today, that you're no longer going to put your trust in materialism, but you're going to put it in God and in His Son, Jesus Christ. He says, the plans I have for you are good and not evil to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. He doesn't have a bad plan for anybody in this room. Good plans. And watch your life then suddenly come under control and have new meaning. So don't put your trust in your wealth or your possessions, right? Job 31, 24, have I put my trust in money or felt secure because of my gold? He says, if so, I should be punished by the judges, for it would mean I have denied the God of heaven. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.